Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. So much of the suffering that we have in our lives due to what comes and goes and is out of our control is due to living in the past or being worried and anxious about what is going to come in the future. So the quickest way to calm the mind and to really cultivate that sense of stability and groundedness to go through whatever earthquakes are going to come and try to shake us is to actually be in the present moment. And to do that, we also need to be in our physical body. So the practices that I share for cultivating the power of stability in the first chapter of the book and of what I like to call the hero's journey that it takes you upon with the idea of the divine feminine as being the power of transforming yourself are very much about being in your physical body in a very earthy and grounded way that has to do with the five senses. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Ananta, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure to have you here. So we had you here back when you had your previous book. And as I was joking with you here, the only real reason I had you back is because I just wanted to listen to your voice again because it was so soothing the first time. And I thought, yeah, what a perfect way to spend a Friday afternoon. But all joking aside, <laughs> uh, you have a new book out called Way of the Goddess, which I just finished reading and actually not only answered, but also raised tons of questions for me. So before we get into the book, I wanted to start by asking what I think is a relevant question, given the content of the book, and that is what religious or spiritual beliefs were you raised with? And how did those end up impacting both your life and where you've ended up today? That's a fascinating question. I have actually been reflecting on that very thing recently. I grew up in the Jain religion, which is a subsect of the Hindu faith. Buddhism is also a subset of Hinduism, as is Sikhism. They all kind of derived from Hinduism as the mother religion. I grew up doing fasts. Once a year, we would have a fast where you would actually stop even eating root vegetables because they would be harmful to insects underground. Not only did we eliminate meat completely, but we would get down to the vegetables that would harm 
insects. In a nutshell, Jainism is really about nonviolence to a very extreme extent. And I believe that really influenced me growing up to be considerate of how my actions would be affecting others and to really care for others and to be compassionate towards others. It also instilled in me a really deep value of self-control and having control over the senses, which was really an interesting thing to have in a Midwestern town in Ohio growing up without really any other Indian American kids. It was a culture where a lot of people did drink and go out and, you know, did things that were very opposite of controlling the senses. And yet I believe it was the seeds of Jainism that were planted in me in childhood that really instilled that value into me and made me really you know, curious eventually to explore that relationship further. I believe that taking nonviolence and self-control to an extreme also influenced my mind in a way that I felt that I needed to stop eating altogether. And I kind of confused the religious understandings I grew up with, with self-harm. And I didn't understand from what I understood growing up that it's not important. It's important to be compassionate with others, but we can't forget ourselves in that equation. I didn't quite get these two messages about being able to control the body and its senses, but also to care for it in a healthy way and to be able to be compassionate with others, but also to be compassionate with ourselves. So I think I had these two traits in me of the self-control and compassion. And then I had a lot of questions and I went to a Catholic high school because I felt like I was really confused about what is my religion? Why does it demand that I have to do so many routines and disciplines and have such extreme control where it seems nobody else has this kind of self-control? And, you know, how do I actually take care of myself and be spiritual at the same time? And how do I care for other people and not lose myself in that process were questions that I had growing up. And I felt in my teenage years that Jesus and Mother Mary and the whole idea of Catholic faith was a lot more accessible to me when I was a teenager. So I begged my parents to actually send me to a Catholic private all-girls high school because I wanted a connection to God and spirituality that I felt I could connect with. When I was a child, I had gone to Bible school because my mom was working in the daytime and I was an only child and I didn't have a babysitter. So I used to go across the street to our neighbor's house where they had a babysitter. They were Catholic, so they had Bible school in the summertime. And they asked my parents if they could send me along with their kids to Bible school, even though I obviously did not grow up Catholic. So they said, sure, she can go. So I remember going to Bible school and being told that I could actually close my eyes and invite Jesus into my heart. And I remember that felt really good to do. This idea that 
I didn't have to go to a temple. I didn't have to go to a church. I didn't have to go to any religious institution, but I could actually create a direct connection with divinity within me. And I remember I said, yes, sure. I would love to invite Jesus into my heart. It was the same childhood when I was raised with Jainism, but because my parents said I could go to Bible school, I had this experience of welcoming Jesus into my heart. And as I grew up and got older, I remembered that experience. And I remember how good that felt to have a direct connection to God and how it made all these faraway things feel a lot closer to me and a lot more direct. And so I think that influenced me to want to go to a Catholic high school to be able to know who Jesus was in my heart, because I did feel that there was a presence in my heart that I could then go to and turn to in times of trouble and distress. So even though I had developed an eating disorder before going to high school, I also didn't have it for as long as I feel I may have if I had not known that actually there is this divine presence in my heart and I do have the power to heal myself and to love myself as a way to love others. I feel that was a message that I understood. And then, you know, I went to Catholic high school and I had an amazing experience there. I really enjoyed all the learning that I had. And then towards the end of high school, I began to again question, well, what about what I was raised with? I still don't really understand that. And it wasn't until after I went to college that I ended up going to a yoga class in New York City and listening to all this chanting of Sanskrit Vedic mantras, which I used to hear in the Hindu temple that we went to. Even though I was Jain, we didn't have a Jain temple in the city that I grew up in. We had a Hindu temple. So I was used to going to the Hindu temple. I was used to celebrating many different kinds of gods and goddesses beyond what are included in the Jain religion. And I was reminded of the temple as I went to the yoga class and I saw all these people of different backgrounds really going into this. And I remember receiving the chanting sheet and how it said that yoga is a spiritual practice that prepares you to live a life of service and to be uh, an ambassador of nonviolence and to develop self-control. And it just brought me back to the beginning. And I was like, whoa, this is really interesting. Here I am in a totally different setting as a stressed out college student in New York City. And I'm being reminded of what I heard in childhood that I never understood, but it felt like they were explaining it to me in a way that I could actually grasp this time. And that became a beginning of a whole new journey of then deepening my understanding of what Hinduism and the Vedic spirituality of yoga, which is so widely accepted amongst yoga practitioners around the world, is really all about. When I went to the yoga class, I was also quite fascinated to see all of these photographs of gods and goddesses like Lakshmi and Saraswati and Durga. And I'm like, wow, they're, you know, American, quote unquote, right? American people. They're not Indian, but they have all of our Indian cultural sounds and sights and smells of incense. And it was just really, really fascinating. So it inspired me to take a deeper look at what is 
this Hindu religion that has given birth to my religion I grew up with and Buddhism and Sikhism. And then it was so amazing to find out, wow, Hinduism is called a religion, but in actuality, Hinduism is one religion that truly says yes to all religions and that there are many paths to the one truth. And I'm like, wow, feels like such a full circle to come back home in a way to realize this. And I felt that that understanding completed the puzzle and was the beginning of really going a lot deeper into the spirituality of the Vedas, including Ayurveda, yoga, and Vedanta, which is the end portion of the Vedas that gives us the spiritual philosophy of yoga and Ayurveda. The reason I started with that question is, you know, much like yourself, I was raised Hindu, um, mm-hmm. but I always say that I'm a spiritual skeptic. Uh, you know, I believe that there are things that are spiritual, but I also am willing to write off a lot as new age bullshit. And my friend Matt is like, you realize some of the things your own guests come to talk to you about would be classified as what you call new age bullshit, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm aware of that, which is <clears throat> why I'm willing to actually have a conversation with them about it. Um, but the thing that I think struck me in particular and the why I want to start with that question, particularly with you, is because you you know, mentioned early on in the book that you felt nothing when you looked at sort of these deities and, and these you know idols. And I think my biggest frustration with the way that my religious upbringing was, was that there were no answers to questions. Like people just did things blindly. Like we didn't get our haircuts on Tuesday, which I had mentioned this on the show. You might know this. So I I don't know if this is a Jane thing or it's just a fellow thing. Like, so you're not supposed to get your haircut on Tuesday and nobody could ever tell me why. So finally I was at an ashram in India at the surf camp. And I'm like, all right, you guys are in an ashram. You've all people have got to know the answer to this. And I'm like, why don't Indians get their haircuts on Tuesday? And they're like, barbershops in India are closed on Tuesdays. I was like, what the hell? Like, that's the reason? I'm like, we don't even live in India. And we haven't been getting our haircuts on Tuesday because barbershops are closed in India. And so I was like, okay, wait, that can't possibly be it. And then I Googled it. And of course, ended up on Quora, where the answers ranged from barbers need days off to they need a day to sharpen all their scissors after cutting all that hair. Nobody actually knew an answer. And I felt like this was basically the same thing with so many religious traditions that we have. Like, I remember asking my mom, I'm like, why the hell do we drive brand new cars over lemons as part of a puja? I'm like, what is that about? I'm like, if you told me it's to prevent the car from being a lemon, that would make logical sense. I'm like, I'm like, all right, cool. I can connect it to something that's reasonable. She's like, I don't know. We just do it. I'm like, why? You don't know why you do these things and you just blindly follow them? So, uh, I mean, it, it sounds like you had somewhat of a similar experience. So, yeah, you know, one, why is that? Like, why the hell do we not seem to have answers to these things? And two, you know, as somebody who managed to sort of integrate the best of both religions, mm-hmm. you have these organized religions that lead to a lot of conflict between different groups of people, um, often, you know, can be cult-like. And I get the value of organized religion from the sense that it provides a tremendous sense of community. I see it in my parents. But I'm curious why you think more people don't have the same sort of perspective that you do in their willingness to explore and, you know, actually accept the validity of other people's beliefs when it comes to religion and spirituality. Yeah, you know, I could relate to so much of what you were saying. I had the same 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Frustration. I didn't understand anything that would go on in the temples and it was very frustrating to not be explained anything. I am like that too, or I need to know why, or else I'm not going to really feel happy about doing it for a long time. So I definitely did go through a period of rejecting all things Indian, just out of not really understanding them. But I think for me, it was actually meeting a 
young girl in India whose name is Lakshmi, who had gone through sexual abuse in childhood, that really struck me that how is it that we worship goddesses and we especially worship Lakshmi, the most widely worshipped Hindu goddess of wealth in India, and yet we treat women and girls who might even have the same names in such a different way. And it just made me really curious to find out what does this really mean. And it is interesting because I ended up going to a East-West bookstore, which has incidentally a lot of new age things. And I think, I don't know if it's just growing up Indian or having more of a skeptical questioning mind, but I've always felt that it's important to question whatever is there in the name of religion and God because probably of all the conflict that goes on in the name of these things. And it was really interesting as I've dug deeper and deeper into the philosophy of Vedanta in particular to find out that the way to connect with the universal consciousness that all religions are calling by different names is actually by the very process of questioning. And so it's encouraged in the spiritual philosophy of Vedanta to develop your subtle intellect. Vedanta explains that there are two kinds of intellects. One is your gross intellect and one is your subtle intellect. With the gross intellect, it's different than intelligence, first of all. A lot of people think intellect, intelligence are the same thing. They're very different. Intelligence is what you gain from outside sources. The intellect is what comes from within you as originality, as creativity, as the spark of a higher level of the mind that can actually think, plan, analyze and decide things for your life. So there's a gross intellect and a subtle intellect. The gross intellect is what allows us to make good decisions in day-to-day life. The intellect is that which can distinguish between pairs of opposites. If you have a choice to say stay home or travel to Zimbabwe, it's the intellect that will actually think and reason and use logic to decide whether it makes more sense for you to stay put or to travel to Zimbabwe or wherever you may want to go. Then at the spiritual level, there is a thing called the subtle intellect, which is that part of our intellect that can actually discern between what is terrestrial, what is just coming and going, and what is transcendental or eternal. The only thing that is actually eternal is that which is present in the past, in the present, and will be continuing to be present in the future, which ends up really only being the soul, which is the same in me as it is in you, as it is in all living beings. And we are able to develop that subtle intellect per Vedanta philosophy in two ways. One, by not taking anything for granted. And two, by questioning everything. And what I found in Vedanta is that it's actually a very, very logical system of philosophy that ultimately leads us to a place of not having any more questions. 
And finally, finding that peace that we're always looking elsewhere and outside us for. Mm, wow. Well, let's get specifically into the book. Uh, I mean, last time you wrote a book called The Ayurveda Way that, you know, I remember going through that and there are a lot of really cool things in it that I thought, wow, this is, you know, more of a book. It seemed like last time you focused much more on what really was our physical health, even though I know you allude to some of that. This, this time it seems like you took an approach to really kind of uh, understanding how our minds work through this lens. Um, so what prompted this book in particular? Like why this book of all the books you could have written? What prompted this book in particular was my own journey of healing and being able to finally connect this mysterious goddess tradition that I grew up with. And then that came back into my life in college with the health-based knowledge of Ayurveda for physical health, the yoga psychology, which supports our mental health, and then the Vedanta spirituality, which helps us develop our subtle intellect and basically realize who we are as an eternal soul. And going through the cycle of remembering one aspect of the warrior mother goddess Durga each day has really changed my life in countless ways. I finally understood in my studies that the reason why we have so many gods and goddesses in the Hindu religion is not for any other reason, but that the ancient sages were actually quite kind to gift us role models for how we can be as we face all of life's challenges. The challenges of life are many and varied, and therefore they created many and varied gods and goddesses to be models for us to remember and to call upon in times of distress, disease, obstacles, and challenges. When I started to really understand the chakra system and this idea that one form of this warrior mother goddess Durga lives within each of our chakras and that it's connected with a specific power that we can cultivate, it became such an incredible quest then to realize that I can actually call upon these stories, these mythological stories and certain practices to cultivate the powers that the heroines of the stories, if you will, represent. It really gave me a way to navigate the challenges of my own life and to heal my own traumas and to stop looking at certain situations with a limited perspective, but to then start to see actually all challenges are opportunities to realize who I am beyond the challenges. It's like how in the Vedic tradition, we have this elephant-headed god named Ganesha, who is always evoked as the remover of obstacles. But Lord Ganesha is also believed to give us obstacles because it's only in having obstacles to face and then actually facing them and removing them that we get to realize the power and strength of our own soul. So knowing these stories and this idea even of an all-powerful warrior mother 
goddess living within me and all these different centers of my being representing certain powers that I have within me to heal myself, to know myself and to trust myself in all situations has just really changed so much for me at a physical level, at a psychological level. And, you know, in terms of my acceptance and ability to forgive and let go of any and all past transgressions, violations, and boundaries that were crossed by other people in my life. And I feel that, you know, growing up, I really always wanted a female role model in particular to look up to and to be able to emulate. I never really found what I was looking for until I encountered again later on in life the Vedic tradition of the goddesses. And I just felt that, yeah, Durga is how a woman should be in this world, but not just a woman. I felt that, oh, as I understood more and more, this is just symbology. We don't have to say, oh, I believe this goddess and therefore I don't believe that goddess or I don't believe this god, I believe that god. We can actually look at it as universal mythological stories that are cueing us into something about ourselves. And so even if we're not in a female body or we don't identify as female, what I've understood about goddess Durga and her being personified as a warrior mother goddess is representing this idea that we all have within us the power to give birth, right? The mother part is representing the power to give birth, the power of transformation, the power to, you know, start something different than you concluded. And we all have that power within us to give birth to our own true self, our most authentic self, the best of our self, our highest self, if you will. Then the warrior part is really important also. When we think about a mother, we think about certain feminine characteristics, right? About being compassionate, about being forgiving, about the love and the care and the kindness and all these good, warm, wonderful, loving qualities. However, the Vedic tradition wants and has created these deities to be quite balanced, even in terms of gender. So it's not enough what it's saying to be simply compassionate, forgiving, et cetera, et cetera. We also have to be warriors on the spiritual journey. We have to be willing to fight the battle with our own darker emotions. We have to be warriors with our fear, with our anger, with our jealousies, with our insecurities, with our anything that stands in the way of realizing the fullness, the power, and the strength of who we really are. So therefore, we all, I feel, need to have this divine energy or connection, if you will, with that part of us that can actually evoke new beginnings to our own self, that can create sustainable transformation to bring about the best within us and to do it in a way where we are always realizing that even as we meet outer challenges, outer bullies, outer obstacles, these are all actually just pointing us to our own inner obstacles, to our own inner bullies, and to our own inner challenges that we ultimately have to overcome to even be able to handle 
the ups and downs and the difficulties of life in a empowered and strong way. Mm. Wow. Wow. Um, this is a really deep rabbit hole. So let's start with uh, one of the first things that struck me in the book. You say that stability means many things to many people, but on the spiritual path, it's the ability to remain focused on your objective, no matter the obstacles that arise. Having the power of stability means being able to say yes to people, practices, and situation that support you on your quest for spiritual growth and saying no to what no longer serves you. Easier said than done, I think. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, we all have to put up with copious amounts of bullshit in our lives, whether that's people, whether that's organizations, whether that's situations. So how is it that we start to bring about this sense of stability? Like, what is it that we can do to actually start to feel a sense of stability, particularly in a world that is pretty much in constant flux? That's a great question. It's sometimes as simple as rooting our feet into the earth and reconnecting with the present moment. I feel that so much of the suffering that we have in our lives due to what comes and goes and is out of our control is due to living in the past or being worried and anxious about what is going to come in the future. So the quickest way to calm the mind and to really cultivate that sense of stability and groundedness to go through whatever earthquakes are going to come and try to shake us is to actually be in the present moment. And to do that, we also need to be in our physical body. So the practices that I share for cultivating the power of stability in the first chapter of the book and of what I like to call the hero's journey that it takes you upon with the idea of the divine feminine as being the power of transforming yourself are very much about being in your physical body in a very earthy and grounded way that has to do with the five senses. So I talk about how you can even stop and smell flowers for an instant sense of calm and stability. The sense of smell in Ayurveda, the world's oldest system of healing and the subject of my first book, is deeply connected to the earth element. The earth element is what gives us a sense of grounding and stability. So even when we take a moment to just smell something that we like to smell, that that calms us, that inspires us, that you know feels good to that sense, it helps bring us back into the moment. The marigold flowers in the Ayurvedic tradition have a particularly stabilizing effect on the mind. So you can even be able to, you can even try to get some of those flowers in particular and to smell them, but it would work with any scent, even essential oils that you might have. Then, you know, literally rooting your feet into the earth is something that's so, so helpful for making that connection to the inner world, which is where your stability really lies. Practicing tree pose and mountain pose from the yogic tradition are really helpful because in the yogic tradition, we are actually really learning from nature how to be in this world. Whereas the Vedic tradition has given us lots of role models in the form of gods and goddesses and 
kind of cosmic characters, if you will, to be able to model our lives after. We have in the Ayurvedic tradition, the abundance of teachers and role models in nature that are showing us how to be in this world in a harmonious and balanced way. It's like how Muhammad Ali had once said, that is why you too can sting, you can float like a butterfly and sting like a bee because we have this whole world of nature within us and we can learn about ourselves by learning about nature outside of us. And the yogic tradition is really there to help us learn how to be steady and stable like the tree, how to be really deeply rooted and grounded like a mountain. And when we practice these poses with an understanding of what it is we're trying to cultivate, then we can be a lot more conscious in actually empowering ourselves to experience the full benefit of the practice. It's the same thing for the yoga poses too, right? Why are we doing this? Is it just to stretch? Is it just to make our bodies look a certain way? Well, no, actually the reason why we do any of the yogic practices is to consciously become what it is we are physically embodying. So to do that, it's really important to not only do the pose physically, but to really contemplate this idea that I have the stability of the tree within me. I can actually root my feet into the ground while also reaching my head up and reaching towards the sun and the light of that sun, right? So when we really embody the spirit of nature, then we get a lot more healing powers that come from that. And then that also really helps to calm our mind and bring us back into the moment. Wow. Talk to me about food and sleep a little bit, because I know that you mentioned a few things here um, about sort of, you know, you said agitating foods are those that make you feel anxious, nervous, worried, and scared. Pure foods give you physical and mental stability. And you also talk a lot about sleep as well. So what role do those play in stability? Huge roles. (laughs) In the Ayurveda tradition, we have three sub-pillars of great health. The three main pillars are the three doshas or the three bio-forces that are made up of different combinations of the five great elements, which are space, air, fire, water, and earth. And we are having those in different proportions in our bodies and those elements and their combinations as doshas can go out of balance. So bringing those into balance and understanding those and working with those are considered the first pillar of health in Ayurveda. But then the second pillar, three pillars of health, according to Ayurveda, are food, sleep, and what is known as brahmacharya, which is actually the subject of the second chapter of my new book, Channeling Your Energy. It's more than abstinence from sex. It's actually a mindful relationship with your five senses. So the kind of food that you eat, the quality and quantity of rest that you receive at night, and really living in harmony with the rhythms of the day and the year through Ayurveda's daily and seasonal lifestyle actually makes a huge difference in how stable and grounded you're going to feel. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.